after leaving Egypt and rejecting God's assignment to go into the promised land, the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. Near the end of that 40 years, God gave Moses his last assignment before he was to die. Moses was to lead the Israelites in battle against the kings of Midian who lived on the east side of the Jordan River. Now let me show you a little map to kind of help orient geographically where we are. What I've labeled up here on the map on the screen, the promised land, that's sort of the center of the promised land. Uh, it's where between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. This is the land that God is promising to the descendants of Abraham that when originally the children of Israel got there, they refused to go in. Now they've wandered 40 years in the wilderness and they've come to the east side of the Jordan River, meaning if you look on the map further to the right, the part you can't see, that's the wilderness. They're coming out of the wilderness headed west towards the Jordan River, towards the Mediterranean Sea. When they arrive on the east side of the Jordan, the kings of Midian live there. And Moses leads the Israelites into battle against the kings of Midian and defeats them. After the great victory, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, so two of the twelve tribes of Israel, two of them, Reuben and Gad, look around at the land and say, this would be perfect for our tribes to settle in talking about on the east side of the Jordan River. And they look around, they've come out of the wilderness, and the Jordan River Valley has life to it. And they look and they say, this would be perfect. We could build our, uh, uh, we could build our houses here. We could graze our sheep here. This would be great. And so they go to Moses, knowing that they're supposed to go across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. But they come and request and say, hey, could we stay on the east side of the Jordan River? Could we have land over here from these kings of Midian that we just conquered? Moses hears their request, and he responds immediately with great anger. This is what he said. Should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord God has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness for years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers, making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave this people in the wilderness, and you will be the cause of their destruction. Moses is like, oh no, not again. We just got done with this. We came up to the edge of the Jordan River and we looked across into the promised land. Spies went into the land. They came back and discouraged the people from trusting God. 
We just spent 40 years in the wilderness going round and round. Here we are, we get a do-over. We get a chance to do it right. And now you don't want to go into the land? He looks at the tribes of Reuben and Gad and says, this is going to be even more discouraging when the spies came back. Two tribes want to stay here on the east side of the Jordan. The rest of them aren't going to want to go. Or if they do want to go, when things get difficult, when things get hard, they're going to say, we should have stayed on the east side of the Jordan like Reuben and Gad. And Moses is like, how in the world can you be doing this? Did you learn nothing in the wilderness? But Moses was wrong. The tribes of Reuben and Gad had learned something in the wilderness. And this is how they reply to Moses. We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. There's a different level of maturity here. Reuben and Gad are saying, no, no, no. We are not actually wanting to discourage the rest of the tribes from taking the land. It's just that this land fits us perfectly. We want to settle here, and then we promise we will go and help the other ten tribes get their land. Well, Moses, I imagine, is a bit surprised at this level of maturity. He's a bit taken aback, and so he says, okay, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to promise that after you've settled in this land, you will come with us across the Jordan and help the rest of the tribes get their land, then okay. You may have the land east of the Jordan River. You may settle your two tribes in the land east of the Jordan River. Well, that's the background to the story we're going to look at this morning. So please take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you or under your seat. We'd love if you took one of these Bibles and turned to page 169. Joshua chapter 1, page 169. While you're turning, let me kind of set the context for where we are in the book of Joshua. We started a series in the book of Joshua a couple of weeks ago. We've been focusing on the initial instructions at the beginning of the book of Joshua. But the book of Joshua is about the children of Israel going to possess the promised land, the land on the west side of the Jordan River, the land I had labeled up there, promised land. That's what the story of Joshua is about. We've been focusing on the instruction. Moses died. Joshua takes over. God tells him how to go about doing this. But the rest of the book of Joshua is about actually possessing that land. And they're now ready to get going. Now, as an aside, I think it's interesting that as Joshua is about to embark on a huge military campaign, something that is going to require an incredible amount of leadership, the instructions that God gave to Joshua about how to be successful have nothing to do with military strategy. It has nothing to do with how to be a good general or how to be a good leader. God says to Joshua, look, 
everything you need to know to be successful in the assignment I've given to you? Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All Joshua needs to know to be successful, obey the Lord and don't be afraid. God will be with you everywhere you go. Well, Joshua's ready to put this into practice. And so Joshua chapter 1, verse 10, we're ready to begin getting started in the preparations for the conquest of the land. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So somewhere between Numbers 32 and Joshua chapter 1, the half, half of the tribe of Manasseh also wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. They were also allowed to do that by Moses. Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving to them. After that... You may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So here we see Moses. The most important thing that he's being taught by God is, look, you want to be successful? Do everything that I wrote in my word for you to do. And the very first thing that Joshua's doing is he's being obedient to God's word. In Numbers 32, the story is Reuben, Gad, and then later the half-tribe of Manasseh are commanded by Moses to make sure they go into the land and help the rest of the tribes. When Joshua takes over, he's obeying that scripture by asking them and telling them, you've got to live up to your promise. But the question for us is, we said, don't let the book of the law depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that we will be careful to do everything written in it, so that we might be successful in the assignments that God has given us. And the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this story? Last week we talked about that when you come to the Bible, sometimes it's pretty easy to know what to do because it says things like, thou shalt not lie or honor your father and mother. Those are pretty straightforward. But the question is, how do you do the stories of Scripture? And I gave you a suggestion, which was, 
We are to find ourselves in the story. We're to read ourselves into the characters of the story. And so the question for us this morning is, how do we today do Joshua 1, 10 through 15? How do we obey this story? Well, we're going to do what I suggested we do last week. And so this is our first example of how to do this. We're going to read ourselves into the story. Specifically, we're going to look for the characters that we are playing and the ways in which our lives today may be like their lives then and the correspondence between the two. So the important question for us is, who are the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh? Who are they? Well, in the story, they're those who have already received from God what's been promised. God has promised all 12 tribes land. Two and a half of the tribes have already received their land, the land east of the Jordan. They've already begun to build their houses. They've already begun to plant their crops. They've already begun to put up fortified cities. The two and a half tribes have already begun to realize the promised land that God was giving to them. They're decorating their homes. They're inviting their neighbors over for dinner. They represent those who have already received from the Lord the promise. But the bigger idea here is that God is saying through Moses and Joshua, hey, look, we are all in this together. None of us rests until all of us experience rest. And so Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are simply the first tribes to begin to experience God's rest. But the rest of the nation of Israel has not. And so they need to leave behind their houses and their families and their flocks, and their fortified cities, and their dinner parties, and whatever else they're doing, go across the Jordan River and help the rest of the community get the land that God has promised to them. And the point is Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh represent those who have already in some respect received from God the blessings he's promised but who are obligated to help those coming behind them that have not yet received full rest from God. You see, in our culture today, it's very easy to take an individualistic role of our lives, to kind of think of ourselves simply as single individuals. And if you've climbed some mountain, some difficult assignment, some experience in life, it's easy to get to the top and go, whew, made it. Glad that's over with, and not realize there are others still coming behind you trying to climb that mountain. It's easy in our culture today to get through some difficult thing and say, man, I made it, I got mine, I'm all good. And not realize there are others who are younger or still coming behind us or whatever who have not gotten theirs yet. And if we are going to be Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, if we're going to play that role, if we're going to act like they do, first of all, we have to realize we're part of a greater whole. That if you're here today, a part of Calvary Church, you're not just here as an individual or as part of a family. You're part of a larger community of faith. 
just like Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were part of the larger nation of Israel, so you exist as part of this church. And it means that there are people who are around you who perhaps have not yet received rest in whatever area of life. For example, it's very easy if your little babies have grown up to think, phew, made it through the baby phase. That was very tiring. Wonderful, but tiring. So glad I'm done. And not realize there are other people in this church who are just entering into that phase. Likewise, it can be easy if you've been at Calvary for a long time. And you have lots of friends here and lots of relationships. And when you come in on a Sunday morning, there's lots of people for you to talk to. It's easy to forget that there are other people who are part of this community for whom that is not yet true. They're new here. They don't have lots of friends. Coming to church, they're simply here for the worship, but they don't experience much community. It's very easy to just think, well, I've got mine, and forget that they don't have theirs. If you've lost a spouse... And God has graciously allowed you to be remarried. It can be easy to forget how lonely it is to be a widow or a widower. And to think, well, phew, I made it through that. I now have a spouse that I can share the final years of my life with. It's easy to forget, but wait a minute, there are others here for whom God has not yet given them that or won't give them that. Maybe you've gone through major surgery. And you've come out on the other side. It's easy to forget the fear, the trepidation that you had going into that surgery. There may be somebody sitting next to you this morning who tomorrow is going in for major surgery. You're at rest, but they're not. Maybe you're at a place in life where money is not as tight as it used to be. It's easy to forget how much going to the grocery store can be a stressful experience uh, if you're living right on the edge. And that for some people sitting here today, someone buying their groceries this week would be like winning the lottery. We forget what that's like. Or if you're a high school student here, you may have thought, man, I'm so glad I made it through middle school. I'm so glad that's done. Those were difficult years. It can be easy to forget there are those who are just entering into those years. You may be at rest, but they're filled with anxiety or difficulty about heading into some very difficult and turbulent years. Whatever it may be, if there is something that you have made it through, but there are others at Calvary Church who are just entering into that, then you and I are in the role of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. If we can think of some way in which we've gotten through an assignment, through a difficult stage of life, but there are still others coming behind us, then we have the opportunity to play that role and to realize we're all in this together and that none of us will experience true rest until all of us experience some level of rest. Let me give you some examples of what that looks like. A number of years ago, Um, My family was in a position where our family was larger than our car budget. What I mean by that, we could not afford a car that would hold our whole family that didn't break down all the time. We had one car that was reliable, but it didn't hold everybody. We had a car that held everybody, but it wasn't reliable. It regularly broke down. 
Well, a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to go on a road trip, a study break, to California. We were going to stop in New Mexico and go to California, uh, and I was going to study for three weeks at Biola University. This was a great opportunity. Going to take my whole family with me, but the problem was, how are we going to get there? I mean, our car can't make it five miles without the possibility of it breaking down. How are we going to go across the entire country? Well, a man in our church, older than we were, who at one point had been in the same situation we had been in, but was no longer in that situation, called up and said, I want to loan you my car. Actually, he said, I want to switch cars with you for three weeks. He and his wife came and dropped off their car, which was big enough for our whole family and all our luggage too, and he took my car. Well, we drove the car around town a couple of times just to run some errands, and then just before we were getting ready to leave, I'm out there packing up the car, getting it all ready to go, and I'm in the front seat, and I hear a strange noise coming from the instrument panel. Do you know the feeling when you've borrowed something from somebody and you think you might have broken it? I mean, it's a dreadful feeling, isn't it? Especially if you know, I, I couldn't pay to fix this if I wanted to. It took every ounce of courage within me to pick up the phone and call him and say, um, there's a strange noise coming from the instrument panel. He was very kind. He said, well, describe it to me. We talked. I kind of hold the phone up to the, listen to the noise. It was this whirring sort of noise. He's like, no, that's, that's normal. I had not been in a car with that fancy of an instrument panel before. So he says, that's normal. You haven't broken anything. Everything's fine. And then he says to me, look, I've been where you're at. Jim, what you need to know is there is nothing you can do to that car which will make me love you any less. Don't worry about a thing. Have a great time. That's the attitude of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. For him to say, look, we're in a position now where cars are not the same kind of stressful thing as they were before. Let us come behind and help you. We didn't have rest. He did, and so he allowed for us to experience some. It's very restful to go, you know what, no matter what happens to this car, he's not going to be angry. Second example. There's a couple in our church in the early 90s. They were talking to some friends who I don't think go to Calvary about Grace Beyond, which is our building project. And they were telling their friends about how they've been praying and asking God what they were supposed to give to Grace Beyond. And their friends sort of naturally said to them, why are you giving money to a building project? And the implicit assumption was, you're not going to be around to really enjoy the building. And as this older couple was relating the story, they said, that's absolutely, we don't think we're going to live to see this. But they said, well, we know what it's like, that there are generations who are coming after us. We too at one point needed buildings. We too at one point needed facilities for doing ministry. We too were part of a generation that needed that. We want to help those who are coming behind us. And if we never set foot in the building, that's not the point. The point is, is that God has given us rest in our journey, but there are those coming behind us who have not yet received rest. That's the attitude of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. None of us rests until all of us have some level of rest. Third example. It came up in the last service when Tom was uh, going around and people were sharing testimonies. Scott and Jody, a family in our church, <coughs> walking through the journey of cancer. They shared what a blessing people in the church had been to them, 
One of, the, one of the blessings has been another couple who has been through the exact same kind of cancer a few years earlier have come alongside of them. And the husband has sat down with Scott and said, hey, look, when, your wife has to sh- when you have to shave your wife's head for chemo, just know that's going to be a really hard day for you and her and be prepared. And the wife has come alongside of Jody and said, hey, look, I know that chemo feels all-consuming right now. But someday it will be a memory for you just like it's a memory for me. It's not my whole life anymore. I've gotten to the place where I can look back and look at it as a painful and difficult time, but just a memory. And she said to her, you'll get there too. That's the attitude of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Someone who's been through cancer and now has some level of rest saying, wait a second, there are people in this church who are just entering into that process. We have a responsibility and a privilege to come alongside of them and help them find rest because none of us experiences rest until all of us experience some level of rest. Fourth example, and the most important one by far. It's the example of Jesus. Jesus has done suffering. He's made it through death. He finished his assignment. He was given the hardest possible assignment, but he made it through. He's currently in heaven. He is literally where rest is. He is in his heavenly rest. But in Hebrews chapter 4, the same chapter that talks about the book of Joshua and the idea of rest reminds us that Jesus has not embraced his rest to such an extent that he has forgotten about those who are coming behind him. That's why he is day and night interceding for you and I who are still going through the things he's already been through. That's why he's an empathetic high priest who says, look, my doors are open. Come into the throne room of grace to find mercy and receive grace whenever you need it because Jesus remembers what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus remembers what it's like to be deserted by your friends. Jesus remembers what it's like to go through death. Jesus remembers what it's like to feel abandoned by God. And he can't enjoy his rest until we get through our things to be with him. And so in heaven today, right now at this very moment, Jesus is not resting in that sense. He's walking with us on our journeys. Because until we get through to the rest, he won't experience rest. You ever wonder why sometimes you feel like you've made it through a difficult thing, perhaps a work, and you've gotten to retirement, and you've bought a cottage, and you maybe got a place you're going to go in Florida in the winter, and you get to those things in those places, and they don't feel restful, not spiritually restful? It may be because you've forgotten that there are people who are coming behind you who haven't gotten to that place of rest yet. Now, I'm not telling you you shouldn't enjoy those things. That's part of the blessings of God. But we're supposed to keep one eye on those who haven't yet got there so that we can come alongside of them. Have you gotten to the point where financially paying the grocery bill each month is not as much a matter of prayer as it used to be? but the money that you're experiencing right now is not bringing you any level of satisfaction, it may be because you've forgotten there are people sitting around you this morning who are trying to figure out how am I going to have enough money to pay for groceries this week and not saying you shouldn't be allowed to go to the grocery store. I'm just saying when we keep an eye on those who aren't where we are in whatever situation, 
then we experience rest. Because the point is, we're all in this together. None of us can truly experience rest while there are any of us who haven't yet experienced that rest. So here's your assignment. Remember, Joshua says, if you want to be successful in life, if you want to be successful in whatever assignment God has given you in life, do the Bible. Do Now, you can't do everything all at once. So the question is, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm about to tell you what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do, what I'm supposed to do, we're supposed to do Joshua 1, 10 through 15 this week. If you were supposed to do a different passage, we'd be talking about a different passage. We are supposed to do this this week. I'm about to give you your assignment. If you listen to the assignment and go do something else, James says you're deceiving yourselves. You're hearing the word and not doing it. If you do the assignment I'm about to give you, you will be doing Joshua 1, 10 through 15, and God's promises, he will bless that. So here's your assignment. And it's mine too. I had to start working on it earlier than you did because I knew it was coming. I want you to think of a situation in life that you've been through recently or something big that you've been through in the past that really sticks out. For example, maybe you finished elementary school and you've passed through that season of life. Maybe you raised a strong-willed child. Maybe you lost a spouse. Maybe you had cancer. Maybe you went through that whole, we now have a reliable car, but we used to not have reliable cars. Maybe you went through a season of strong disappointment with God. Maybe you adopted a child. Maybe you came over, overcame doubts about your faith. Maybe you finished college. Whatever it may be, think about a situation of life that you've come through or an assignment that God has walked you through. And think about what it felt like when you were in the middle of that or when you were just beginning that. Something you would have liked to have known. Something that would have been kind if someone would have done for you. Something that someone did do for you that helped you in that. And here's your assignment. Pray and ask God to bring someone into your life who's in the middle of that that you can help. Pray and ask God for somebody who's not experiencing rest and cancer, although you are, someone who's, not, who's just recently lost a spouse or a parent or a loved one, and you've made it through that, someone who is entering into what you came out of, and ask for the opportunity to do what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh did, which is to leave behind all the comforts and say, hey, look, we're in this with you. See, nobody wants to leave behind your wife and your children and go help other people settle in land. But we can't all have rest until each person is concerned about those who don't have rest yet. And so ask the Lord, God, bring someone to mind who may be entering into this. If you can't think of somebody in particular, call the church. Do you remember what it's like if you've been through college? when you've got no money and you're racking up debt and somebody from a church invites you over for dinner or gives you a gift card to go out. Remember how great that felt? Call the church and ask, the college, ask for the college manager and say, is there anybody who could use a Sunday lunch? 
If your babies have grown and you finished your nursery duty a long time ago, call the children's ministry and say, but there are some people here who have little babies who need an hour break on Sunday. You know, it's kind of strange that people who have small children deal with that tiring aspect of it all week long and then come to church and have to volunteer in the nursery because none of the rest of us want to do it. Call the children's ministry and say, look, I don't have little children anymore. I don't have little children, but I can help. If you're a middle school student, ask your mom and dad, can we call the children's ministry and see if we could volunteer teaching a Sunday school class for third graders this, year, this summer so that you could be an influence and help those second and third graders? Come? You're going to remember exactly what they're going through. When they show up and they have questions or they're scared about what's coming, you're going to be able to talk to them and help them and give them rest. Call the Yellow House, which is our pastoral care ministry at the church, and say, do you have anybody who's been recently diagnosed with cancer? or a spouse who's been diagnosed with dementia. That's something the Lord has taken us through, and I want to help anybody else in the church who doesn't have rest. Now listen, if God doesn't give you any assignment, you're off the hook. All I'm telling you to do is think about one that you've been through and ask the Lord, God, is there somebody that I can display the attitude of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh? Really the attitude of Jesus? Of refusing to have rest until I can come alongside and help them in what they're going through. Now since this is our story, I should at least show you how it ends for those who are obedient. Joshua chapter 22, the land has been conquered. Joshua chapter 22, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Joshua then sent them home. He blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with your great wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. You see, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were blessed in the process of helping those who came behind them. At the end of the story, because they had been obedient, because they refused to accept their rest until everybody got rest, God blessed them and opened up the heavens and poured out on them his blessing. That's our ending too. It may have money involved with it. It may not. It will have the blessings of God. And when you turn and look and say, who's recently adopted a child that I could help? Who's recently gone through the death of a loved one that I could help? When you have your eye on those who don't yet have rest in life, God has his eye on you. And he says, come, experience the blessings that I have for you. That, my friends, is how our story will end if we live this character this way.